And I'll just read it for you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. The Word of God says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And let's pray. Lord, thanks for the scripture. Boy, it just is is our guiding light. Thank you for inspiring it, preserving it, keeping it uh, pure for us unto this day. I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and lives, and that tonight you would help us to understand a little bit more about this idea of spiritual warfare and the armor that you provide for us so that we don't go into battle unprotected. So please help us uh, tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so you may be seated. This idea of spiritual warfare is a huge concept. I mean, it's we could spend literally all year uh, having spiritual warfare as a theme and just talking about it every week. Uh, you folks know that we are in a spiritual battle. Uh, there is a war raging around us every single day. We're on God's side if you're born again. We have an enemy who walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And you think about that. God wants, to, or God wants to protect you and keep you safe. Satan is looking to destroy you. I mean, if he could, he would take you out. And his goal is not just to take you out and have you silently slink away. I mean, he would love to publicly destroy you in such a way to cause the most amount of damage and bring reproach to the cause of Christ. That's his goal. When David sinned with Bathsheba, the, the preacher said, you've given great occasion of the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Uh, so Satan likes these big, tragic, uh, blow-up things where someone that you think would never fall, or someone, you know, a whole family blows up, or a, a marriage blows up, or, or something happens in a very public way. Now, every sin is wrong, and every time he takes someone out, it's a tragedy. It's every, but he loves to do it in a way with the most damage possible. So what you find in, in the way wars are waged today is oftentimes in this guerrilla warfare, the goal is not necessarily to kill as many people as you can, but the soldiers know, especially in guerrilla warfare, that it's almost better if you wound someone on the battlefield than just outright kill them. Because if you wound them, you not only hurt them, but now you take several other people out of the fight who have to tend to that person. And so now you've got probably a medic there trying to stop the bleeding. You've got two guys trying to carry him. So now you just took four people out of the fight instead of one. And what terrorists will often do is there'll be a preliminary attack where there'll be some tragedy. And then there's a secondary attack waiting for people to run. And oftentimes the first responders and people running to help those, they, their goal is to have another bigger tragedy so they get the most uh, casualties. And Satan is devious. He's subtle, but he is absolutely 
ruthless. He has no feeling. He doesn't care about you. He's a liar. He's a murderer from the very beginning. All he knows how to do is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he feels no remorse at all for anybody that has ever been destroyed. Matter of fact, if he can, he wants to take as many people to hell with him as he can. Billions of people, billions upon billions of people will go to hell, yes, because of their own choice, but Satan working in the backgrounds to blind their eyes, his, his minions working in the principalities and the powers and all the powers that be, uh, the, the entire satanic organization working to take as many people to hell with him as he can. He is absolutely ruthless. His first goal is to take everybody to hell. But wait, what about Christians? Once you get saved, he can't have your soul. So now he tries to steal your life. He tries to steal your testimony. He wants to steal and destroy your potential for making a difference in this world. And so Satan wants to destroy you. Satan knows he can't hurt God, so he hurts the people God loves, thereby hurting God. And so we have to be reminded that we are in a spiritual battle. You know, it would be easy for us to remember if, if out on the streets there were tanks and, and soldiers lined up. And thankfully, we don't live in a country right now with martial law and all of these things. And some countries are like that, where, where there's tanks in town and, and barricades and all of that. Uh, it would help us, though, to, to remember every time we walked out the door, man, We're living in a war zone. Thank God that's not true, but we do live in a spiritual war zone. Every day, there is a spiritual battle going on around us, just as real as if there were tanks and soldiers lined up outside your house. Just as real as if every time you walked out your door, you had an IED bomb sniffing dog, making sure that there's no traps in your way. Just as real like they used to have to do in Vietnam and in the jungle wars. They would have someone walking point uh, looking for punji sticks and looking for, for claymore mines and IEDs and tripwires. And you got to be careful. I mean, constantly on your guard. But see, we forget. So we, we get lulled to sleep spiritually. Boy, everything's going good, man. We live in America. I got a job. I got a family. I got to do this. I got to do that. Man, we're just living life. And one of Satan's greatest victories is when he gets you to forget you're even in a war at all because then we get careless we get casual and when we get casual we can become a casualty there ought to be this urgency about the christian that every day we wake up and we remember that i may not sense it physically but i'm walking into a spiritual war zone every day One of the ways that we get this under control, one of the ways we remind ourselves of this, is every morning you get in the habit of putting on the armor of God. So the armor of God are some pieces of protection and a couple things for offense that will help you as you go through your day so that you are not totally unprotected when it comes to battle. Imagine going into battle and not having any armor. Imagine going into battle and forgetting your gun. I was joking this morning, imagine you're on the front lines and, and you, you jump out of your Humvee and you, you get to the, the, uh, the place there where you're going to fight and you jump out of the Humvee or you jump out of the transport and you're in your pajamas and your, your uh, slippers. And the people next to you, I mean, they got on armor and, and uh, BDUs and man, they got clips everywhere and grenades hanging off of them and a gun here and sidearm and man, a helmet on. I mean, they're ready to go and you jump off in your pajamas. 
Ugh, what's up today, guys? I mean, you wouldn't do that. It'd be crazy to do that. But that's how some Christians live their lives. And is it any wonder when we get taken out or we, we constantly keep falling into the devil's wiles whenever we don't even remember there's a battle going on around us? So the armor of God is vital to every Christian, and it ought to be a daily practice where we uh, put on the armor of God. Let me show you a couple other places in Scripture where it talks about the armor of God, then we'll come back to, to Ephesians chapter 6 and just show you these things. And so look at Romans chapter 13. By the way, Satan doesn't like it when you start talking about spiritual warfare. Satan doesn't like it when you remember you're in a battle. Uh, you know, this week, there were some battles, just spiritual things, and God, God got us through it. But, I mean, we're going up to teen camp, and a bus breaks down. That's not ideal. You know, sitting on the side of a road, and the kids had a great attitude, and I didn't cry in front of them. I mean, it was really, I was strong, too. And, uh, you know, the, the, the preacher, Brother Barnes, he said, as soon as we decided on this idea of spiritual warfare, he said, the closer it got, the more problems we started having. He said personally and as a family, uh, not, not, not internal family things, but just things coming at him. I mean, that's the way it is. Satan does not like it. Uh, he wants you to be ignorant. He wants you to forget. He lulls you to sleep and then slits the knife between you and, and kills you when you're in a, a lulled state. And so uh, he hates the idea we're talking about a spiritual warfare tonight. I doubt that it is a coincidence that tonight... Right before this message, there were EMTs on the property. I just don't see that as a coincidence. Because anytime you get serious about spiritual warfare, Satan's like, now I'm going to stop fighting you behind the scenes. Let me come at you front. And you might be tempted to say, well, if that's the case, then I'm just going to pretend like I'm not in a war and everything will be okay. No, then you just die slowly and Satan has his way with you. Uh, you have to be willing uh, to fight. And so let me show you a few things here. Romans chapter 13. Look at verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And of course, the salvation talking about the Lord coming back and saving us from all this mess. So every day we live, we're closer to the Lord coming back. We're closer to that salvation. But notice what he says. It's high time to awake. There's a lot of Christians that are sleeping in the middle of the battle. I mean, they're in the foxhole asleep. They forget they're there. I mean, they're dreaming of, of unicorns and rainbows while there's shots going on all around them. And some of us are like, hey, we're in a battle. And they, they don't recognize it. So the Lord's saying, some of you need to wake up and realize that you're in a battle. All right. Uh, look, verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the what? Armor, Armor of light. So there's an armor, God says, listen, you don't even have your armor on. You're in a battle. You don't have your armor on. And it's the armor of light. It's the armor of God, the armor of righteousness. Look what he says in verse 13. <clears throat> Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting. That's like partying and drunkenness. And that's not just alcohol. It's just, it's just getting intoxicated on the things of the world intoxicated on pleasure, intoxicated, anything that, that just takes you out of your mind and gets you so distracted where you just lose yourself. And then he talks about chambering and wantonness. Those are ideas of the, the party lifestyle, the anything goes lifestyle, in it for all the pleasure. 
And then he says, not in strife and wondering. Boy, there's a lot of Christians that they're not involved in partying and, and out, out in, in sin and like that. But boy, they're, they're full of sin in their hearts, debate and strife and envy and sowing discord and unforgiveness and bitterness. All of those things, whether you're on the one end partying and rioting or you're on the other end fighting against God inside the church house with anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and debate and wrath and strife, it's all working for the devil. It's all hindering the work of God. So he gives us another way. Look at verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And so remember, your flesh wants what it wants. You have to start making decisions that I'm not going to give the flesh the opportunity to sin. I'm not, I am not strong enough to put myself in temptation situations and just expect that I'm always going to make it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And sometimes we're, we think we are stronger than we are. We think we're more spiritual than we are. And then we get in temptation and we, we fold and we crumble. And of course, we talked about prayer with that this week. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 1. We then as workers together with him beseech you that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time, behold, now is the day of salvation. Uh, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. So what he's saying is, listen, once you get saved, you've got a job to do. You ought to be influencing the world around you. Don't, don't accept Christ in vain. Don't, don't accept the grace of God and then have it be empty in your life. Yes, I'm saved, yet so is by fire. We ought to be outwardly ministering in the name of God, changing and influencing the world around us. We are the salt and light. Amen? Amen. So he goes on and he talks about giving not offense and, and approving ourselves. The end of verse 4, in much patience in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. Can I just say that we are way too soft? I mean, we'll, we'll quit over almost anything. And I say we, just Christianity in general. I mean, well, I can't serve God now. i got a hangnail. Well, I can't serve God. Somebody was mean to me. Well, I can't go to that church because somebody said something I don't like. Or, you know, I don't like so-and-so's personality. Or, 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 or I just don't click with so-and-so. I mean, you got to get over that stuff. You're in a battle. You don't sit in a foxhole and the other team's shooting at you. And you're like, well, I just don't like Bob's. I just don't like how Bob talks to me. <laughs> Bob, stop it. Stop it, Bob. Don't look at me like that, Bob. <laughs> Throwing a grenade. Lieutenant Sergeant Bob's looking at me, Bob. It's like, what? Those things just don't matter when you're in war. They aren't, they aren't a thing. Because you're trying to survive. You're getting shot at. And God's people, we have to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul said. Verse 6, by pureness. Boy, let's, let's get back to purity. By knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost. Boy, how about some Holy Ghost fullness? By love unfeigned. How about some genuine love for the brethren? Look at verse 7. By the word of truth... By the power of God, look at the phrase, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And so this idea of the armor of God is found several times in scriptures where 
This is where we, we ought to be putting on the armor of God every day. The average Christian doesn't give any thought during the week about the armor of God. And honestly, preachers don't do it the, the doctrine enough service and don't talk about it enough. But it ought to just become part of our everyday life. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. I've got a hundred more things I could say, but let's dive into this, this idea of the armor of God. And so there's two verses in Ephesians 6 that talk about the armor of God. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So notice each time this is mentioned, it's talking about the whole armor of God. Don't put on a few pieces and then leave some out. Because then there are gaps, there are gaps in your protection. The idea is that you put on the whole armor of God and it protects all of the the major parts of your body. So let me just give you a quick outline here and then we'll we'll, uh, get in a good baptism here and, and a little bit of singing. Let me say number one, we see the demand of the armor of God. Verses 11 and 12 talk about standing. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the idea of standing here is just surviving. I mean, you've got to have the armor of God to survive uh, so that that the, the devil doesn't take you out. Verse 12 reminds us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I want you to look at me, and I want you to remember what I'm about ready to say. People are not your enemy. Any time that you get in a conflict with a person, you have to be able to look past them and their personality and the hurtful things they're saying and the painful things they've done and realize that that person is not the ultimate enemy. You have to be able to look past them and see that Satan is the enemy. If you get in a battle with with people and with personalities, now Satan's hurting two people with the same problem. And then people start choosing sides, and now he's hurting multiple people with the same problem. When there has to be somebody in the situation that has enough, enough spiritual sense to say, wait a minute, as much as what you're saying is hurting them, and as much as what they're doing is hurting you, you two aren't the problem. It's Satan. So let's all get back on the same team, and let's fight Satan instead of fighting each other. Amen? And so we see the demand of the armor of God. We need it to stand or to survive. Now look at verse 13. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So the word withstand is a different word and it means literally to stand against. So the first word uh, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, that, that's talking about, it's a word that means that you'll be able to hold on, that you'll be able to survive. But wait a minute, with the armor of God and the fullness of the Spirit, we can do more than survive satanic attacks. We can withstand. Now I'm not just in survival mode. I am fighting against the devil. I'm standing against evil. And so the armor of God allows us to do more than survive, but to thrive. Amen? Isn't that what we want? We don't want to just survive and limp through life. There's going to be times like that for sure, but we want to to thrive and to withstand. All right, so we saw the, the demand of the armor of God. Now let's look at the duties of the armor of God. First, we see that it's for protection. Soldiers have worn protective armor since the earliest days of war. 
And so you can study warfare all the way back to the beginning, and they would take pieces of metal that they would beat down or pieces of leather that they would shape, and they would put it on the the uh, soft parts of their body or the places where uh, an injury would be fatal, and they would cover those pieces of parts of their body so they could be protected. But let me say something about the armor of God. There is no armor for your back. All the armors for the front. Matter of fact, it's pretty much that way in most soldiers' outfits and, and soldiers' protection. There may be a little a protection in the back just because of how the armor is made, but, but most of the bulk of the protection is facing the front. That's because a soldier is expected to face the enemy, not run from them. And especially in, in the work of God. Boy, if you turn your back to the devil and you start running the other way, you're in serious trouble, friend. Because it doesn't take a whole lot to take you out at all. You gotta, you're, you're safest. Don't, don't miss this. You are the safest in the center of God's will, God's will standing against evil. You're far safer there than in running for safety. All right, so we see the protection of the armor. And then let's look finally here at the pieces of the armor. And so we see... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pieces here that we're going to look at. And so let's, let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. So what are these pieces? And I'm going to go through this very quickly. So verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. And so the loins would be the part between about the middle of your, the, the upper thigh and the bottom of your stomach. The loins. And there's a lot of important parts in there. you got your hips. Boy, if you can't move, you're in trouble. You've got the femoral arteries running down the inside of your legs. You get one of those cut, man, you're toast. You'll bleed out in under a minute. And so there's a lot of important parts there right in there. There's uh, the lower back, of course, on the backside. But you've got your lower intestines. And any type of gut wound could cause you a slow and painful death. And so there's, there's a lot right here. And so spiritually, the Bible says, make sure you're, you put on uh, the having your loins girt about with the truth. Now, wait a minute. The loins spiritually, I believe, speaks about our desires. Satan is very good at taking the God-given desires that you have and perverting them and distorting them and making them wrong. And God has offered protection to make sure that we don't get off into lustful sin, uh, the, the sinful desires of this world. Now, what is it that protects the loins? What is it that, that keeps our desires in check? The Bible here defines it having your loins girt about with what? Truth. So wait, it is truth that protects our loins. It is truth that protects us from ungodly desires. And boy, you, you talk about a sensual desires. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 uh, give a treatise to young people about how awful it is to get involved in, in sexual sin and getting involved in immorality and how, how much it will take you down and destroy your life. And see, it's the truth that you, you start having these desires, or maybe these are just God-given desires, especially as young people. You know, your, 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 your body starts changing, and now uh, girls no longer have cooties. Now it's like, woo, what, what is that? She used to be, what, what happened to her? And uh, no, no, I'm not talking about sinful desires. I'm just talking about you start to notice, hey, she went from being gross to beautiful, 
right? And then these guys, you know, they went from being weirdo dweebs to all of a sudden now you're noticing their rippling muscles as they carry their Bible. And you see the uh, glistening off the sweat as they're out soloing and glistening off of their arm. And it's like, whoa, I never noticed that before. <laughs> you got to have muscles, Brother Pastor, for that. It's like, <laughs> But no, it's, we begin to see things just a little bit differently, right? So those are natural God-given desires, but you have to keep those in the right place at the right time for the right people, or they become absolutely devastating. And so it's the truth that reminds us, why wilt thou, O man, be ravished with a strange woman? It's the truth that says uh, her guests are in the depths of hell. It's the truth that says give not thy strength unto woman, women. It's the truth that says God ought to be the first in our lives. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that says, hey, God made the body for the Lord, not for fornication. And what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Spirit of God, which is in you? And ye, ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. It's the truth that keeps all of those things in check. So every morning we get up and in our prayer closet we say, all right, time to put on the armor. I'm going to remind myself of the importance of staying pure in my thought life, pure in my actions, keeping my desires in a righteous path with the truth. Everything in this world system is trying to light an unlawful fire in you and get you to want things that are not rightfully yours. Many songs, many TV shows, many commercials, and we have to fight against it in order to protect from that. All right, let's look at the next piece of armor. So it's the our loins girt about with the truth. All right, next. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate covers the chest and the lung area. So you have your heart, which, of course, that's a kill shot, man. You get hit there, you're done. You have the lungs that, man, if you can't breathe, you can't fight. You have your liver. You have your pancreas. You have uh, all of these types of things. You have your intestines running through there. I mean, if you get hit here, you're pretty much done. That's why even bulletproof vests today, they go from about here and then cover your whole front down because you can get shot in the arm and, and survive. You can get shot. Matter of fact, uh, by God's grace, you can get, I've seen, heard of people getting shot multiple times and surviving when they shouldn't have. But let me tell you, one shot in the right place in here and you're done. And so what do we do? Every day we get up and we put on the breastplate of what? Righteousness. So wait a minute. We remind ourselves every day that through the salvation of Jesus Christ, I am righteous in the eyes of God. I'm a new man. I'm a new creature. I don't want to live the old way. I don't want to live like everybody else around us. Boy, how often and how good is and subtle is Satan in getting you to feel like you're missing out because you don't get to do what the world's doing? Well, hey, they're also going to hell. You want that too? They're also, you, you get past the, the fun and the initial stuff and, and uh, you, you want to go, oh, you want to go out drinking, but do you want to be at the Phoenix house when you've lost everything? Oh, boy, it's fun to smoke a little weed, they say. Oh, boy, you're missing out. Do you want to be over here at the Phoenix house or, or over here at the Welcome house because you've lost everything? Because that thing that you thought would be fun grabbed a hold of you? Do you want to be wandering the streets of Providence, not knowing where to lay your head tonight because you're looking for an, a, a dirty needle so you can find a little bit of heroin left so you can shoot it into your arm? 
See, the devil always points it. He's got the big billboards and the beautiful front and the neon lights. Fun, fun, fun. But all you got to do is walk around and peek in the back alley. That's not the life you want. And so when we wake up in the morning, we put on the loins good about with the truth. We remind ourselves of the truth. And then we put on the breastplate of righteousness. I remember that I am different. I am a new man in Christ. And I want to be righteous. I want to be like Jesus. And watch this. This begins to protect my heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So I begin to put on that. I want to be like Jesus today. I I want to please my Lord today. I want to do right today. And doing right is more important than fleeting pleasure. You see how that begins to, watch this. We're doing this first thing in the morning. This is shaping our entire day. Do you get the importance of this? So we put on the loins good about with the truth, the blessed plate of righteousness. And then it talks about uh, verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. So when you're in battle, the feet are hugely important. A matter of fact, a lot of armies have had trouble as they were marching. Uh, the, the, they didn't have the right footwear or they were marching through troublesome uh, terrain and they would get feet infections, they would get feet injuries, and it could destroy an entire army. Matter of fact, in the Revolutionary War, they were fighting against the cold and the, just the cold and their feet getting cold and getting frostbite. I mean, will halt an army. Uh, in, in the Vietnam War, they would put these little punji sticks and they would cut bamboo with a sharp angle on them. Then they would pour like pig dung and animal and human feces all over them and anything dirt and rotting they could find. And so a, a, a soldier would trip and fall onto them or would step on them and they would go into their boot and that infection would set in and they were done perhaps even lose their leg or kill them. They would have toe poppers where they would take a, a one round of ammunition and put something sharp underneath it, and when you stepped on it, it would depress that bullet down on that, on that sharp point, and it would shoot around right up through the guy's foot. He's done. He's not fighting anymore. So the feet are incredibly important, and is it any wonder that Satan works so hard to get our feet wrong? The feet talk about our ways, our direction, Where are we going? What are we doing? What is it that protects our feet? Look at it. Your feet shod or protected with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does this mean? This means that I wake up every day with the intention and I am prepared to talk about Jesus. I'm looking for somebody that I can talk to about Jesus today. That provides a protection for my feet because when I wake up and I have that as my desire, it's going to keep me in a certain direction. It's going to keep me from going certain places, right? It's going to keep me from doing certain things because now my feet are protected. I'm going throughout the day prepared to give the gospel, not just preparing for someone to come to me and say, what must I do to be saved, but prepared to give the gospel in enemy territory. Look at verse 16. Above all. So this one's really important. Above all. Taking the shield of what? Faith. Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So fiery darts speak about arrows. So imagine back in the time before uh, guns and things, they would have arrows and, and the Archers were basically the gun, gunners of the day. They were the snipers of the day. 
Uh, everything else was hand-to-hand combat, unless but the archers could kill you from afar. And so they would have a big shield so that when someone was shooting at them, especially the fiery darts, and you've probably seen in the old documentaries, the old movies, they would light the end of an arrow on fire, and it makes it that much more dramatic and that much more devastating. And they would shoot that, and these guys would have these strong uh, uh, shields. And so sometimes during a battle, you would see them fighting with with arrows, burning arrows sticking out of their shield. Those would have been kill shots or, or definitely take them out of battle, but they had that shield. And so the Bible talks about the shield of faith. Today they have tactical shields that are literally bulletproof shields that SWAT teams and stuff will use, and they'll come into a place, and it's almost as tall as your body, and they'll, one guy will kneel down, and he'll have that little window that he can look through in a big bulletproof shield, and he might have a little notch on the side for his gun to stick out, or there might be someone behind him where he'll take the fire, and when they change the clips, they'll jump out, peek out, and, and shoot him. And so this idea of a shield, man, when you are under heavy fire, the thing you need is some protection from the fiery darts and from the, the shots being fired at you. And the thing that protects all of that is faith. Now watch this. Breastplate protects the chest, the heart. Uh, truth protects the loins, the desires. The uh, preparation of the gospel of peace protects the feet. Helmet protects the shield, the, the, the uh, head. But the shield is movable where it can protect all of that. And so it's very important that we start the day with faith. With faith. Did you start the day this morning saying, Lord, I believe in you? Not just for salvation, but I mean, I believe in you. You're there. You care. You know me. You know my heart. You know how many hairs are on my head. You know how much money's in the bank. You know every problem I'm facing. And I trust you. See, because all throughout the day, Satan's going to try to get you to doubt the love of God. He's going to try to get you to think that God doesn't care and that if, this, if God allowed this, then he doesn't really care about you or maybe God doesn't know who you are. Maybe none of it's true. But see, it's that shield of faith that, that overrides everything that says, no, I can fight these fiery darts of the wicked because I know ultimately the underlying truth is that God is with me and I believe in him. Isn't that good news? And so uh, look here next, we see, Uh, Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. And so the helmet protects the head. What is this? This is the helmet of salvation. Hey, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Listen, if you don't have assurance of salvation, you're going to struggle with everything else in life. Right? I mean, you're going to struggle with everything if you don't even know you're saved. And so that's why it's so important that you get your salvation nailed down. And if you have doubts, man, get that thing nailed down. And there's a difference between sometimes people start to have doubts because they get away from God and they're backslidden. And you talk to them a little bit and they're like, no, I really was saved. Uh, I just had forgotten. But but I mean, some things like like with my testimony, Andrew's testimony, look, I don't even remember it. I don't even... I, th- I thought so, but I'm not, I'm not putting my, my whole eternal destiny on a foggy memory. Hey, that, that's pretty wise. And so, but you've got to have that knowledge where every day I put on my helmet and you say, Lord, thank you for saving me. I remember when I got saved, and I remember that I, uh, who Jesus is, and I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so that helps protect the, the head because the battle is for your mind, and Satan wants to destroy your mind. If he gets your mind, then he gets everything else. All right, look at verse 16. You with me? Look at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So now wait a minute. There's another thing that we often just think of an offensive weapon, but that's the sword. The sword was a defensive weapon and an offensive weapon. So if someone comes at you, you can parry those 
those uh, uh, sword attacks. You can parry the, the axe attacks or the spears attacks. You're knocking them out of the way with your sword, but it's also your offensive weapon. And we see in the example of Jesus how when he defeated Satan, he used the word of God. Uh, to defeat Satan, and it's no no different with us. So that's why we encourage you to start your day with God. Boy, at least read the Bible sometime during the day. At least pray sometime during the day. Uh, I used to, when I was a young Christian, I would pray at the night, at, at, at the end of the day, and I'd read my Bible at the end of the day. But can I just be honest with you? I finally realized that I'm getting beat up all day, and then I come and get help and strength at night after I got beat up all day. Well, boy, it's just a whole lot better to get up earlier in the morning and get the strength and help to start the day and then go through the day with strength and help. And then at the night, you can get a little bit of of help to to take care of anything that happened during the day. So we see the sword of the Spirit is vital to this armor of God. Then there's one last thing that a lot of people overlook when it comes to the armor of God. And look at verse 18. We'll be done. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, the last thing that we talk about here is prayer. So prayer is defensive and offensive. And and what he's likening prayer to is an awareness. So like we talked about, someone walking point in the jungle, they had to be very aware of watching every step, looking for booby traps, being aware of any movement. If you've ever seen the old documentaries or, or such, the guy in front, he'd lift up his hand like this and everybody kneels down. He'd put up his hand, that means stop, because he saw something, he wasn't sure about something. And then he'd put that down, they'd move forward a little bit. You know, you see the, the promos of the seals coming out of the, the fog and out of the, the uh, uh, water, you know, like this. And they're not coming out of the water like, hey, Bob, whoo, that was a good ride, wasn't it? Man, I like to swim. I mean, so there has to be a sobriety at times when you're in the battle. And this idea of watching, and and I I think of Gideon in the 300, the the final test was the ones that went to the water and they didn't just put down all their armor and and, and get down and just lap it up, but they, they, with watchfulness, they got down on one knee and they got the water and brought it to their mouth where they could still see. God values watchfulness matter of fact jesus himself said watch and pray and so when we put on the armor of god every day it's a reminder that we are in a battle and i need to be aware of what satan's trying to do and then i not only pray for myself but it says prayer and supplication for all saints and so i can pray for you and you can pray for me and we all get together you know, in the team mentality, if one of us get hurt or die, we all suffer. And Christianity is a, a warfare where the more of us there are, the stronger and the more safety we have. But the less of us there are, the weaker we become. And so it ought to matter to us whether our, our buddies are healthy. And it always bothers me that people have said for years, Christians are the only army that shoot their own wounded. And there's some truth to that. Boy, somebody struggles, someone has a hard time, somebody sins, and it's like, well, just put him out of his misery. I knew he was going to do that. I saw that coming. Folks, if, if, if one of us suffer, we all suffer. And we ought to have that mentality of no Christian left behind. 
Let, let's do what we can to, to, to bring everybody home. And when someone gets shot or someone suffers, or God forbid there is a casualty, we're going to make sure their body gets home for a, a, a normal burial. We're not going to shoot our own wounded. And so I hope this is helpful to you. Every morning, the way you do this is in your prayer closet. As you're praying, visualize yourself putting on the, the loins of truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, putting on the, the feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, grabbing the shield of faith, putting on the helmet, protecting the head and mind, grabbing the sword, the word of God, and watching unto prayer. And it doesn't take long. Matter of fact, you can do it in a very short time, but it just kind of gets your brain in a certain place during the day where it's like, we're going to be okay today. Matter of fact, we're not just going to stand, we're going to withstand. Amen? And so hopefully that's a blessing to you. Let's pray. Father, help us as we strive to go through this battle with strength and and we want to not just survive but to thrive and so help us be able to do so help us to make a practice every day of putting on the armor of god as you encourage us to in your word so heads are bowed eyes are closed let's stand